Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. I am joined by Christopher Nee. We're going to do an old school podcast, Sinone and Nee, going back and forth, talking a little bit of ball. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about FSU spring game, uh, which was yesterday. It was a pretty good turnout. Uh, we will later in the week, I think maybe Monday, go full into the recruiting festivities, which was awesome. Zach did a great job of spearheading a ton of recruiting coverage. We had Newberg up here and, and Chris helping. It was just, it was, there's a ton to go over with recruiting that it deserves its own platform, its own podcast. And I think there's enough from the spring game for us to go over as well. So with that being said, this is going to be focused on just the football aspect of the spring, uh, what Saturday was like. So Chris, uh, a night and day difference from your demeanor and you have admitted before that, that these whether it's hoops, whether it's football, your your mood can change if you don't like what you see or if you do like what you see in the hours after a game. Thursday's practice, you were kind of bewildered and, and frustrated. You didn't like what you saw, but Saturday, you were giddy. Let's be correct. On Thursday, I was fit to be tied. Like, I was <laughs> what I watched. That offense looked like it couldn't complete a pass downfield and that they would never score again on Thursday. You were – your bad mood put me in a bad mood, which doesn't put me in a worse bad mood that your mood allowed my mood to be affected. Well, I've told people I usually leave, leave spring with like an added level of optimism, feeling good about some things. And it, you know, sets the table for the offseason. Thursday, I left thinking, my God, I don't know how they're going to win games. I mean, it was bad. And I had only seen in person the first scrimmage, which in itself wasn't very good. And I had talked to enough people about the second scrimmage, including you guys to know that that one went very, very poorly. So I just didn't feel good. And I thought Saturday, I thought Thursday set the table for Saturday to be a major letdown and kind of halting some momentum that the program desperately needs going into an off season. And luckily Saturday didn't play out that way. First, Mike Norvell has an elite weatherman. Congrats. (laughs) Whoever his Doppler guy is, uh, they they took a calculated risk and it worked out because the the rain stopped literally like, 20 minutes before kickoff. Yeah, if, they, if they had made a decision 24 hours prior to the game, they probably would have moved it up. And truthfully, they would have moved into the worst of it around noon. Mm-hmm. So, kudos to that. Um, but no, the game went much better than I expected. Uh, you know, and I, I think that's an excellent thing for program that they're going into the off season with there being enough good feelings about what the general public got to see. Obviously there's a ton they have to fix. There's a lot of issues. There's plenty of things we're going to get into on this pod but there's enough good too. And I think yesterday was very good in the sense of there being a lot of good and some bad. And I think that's a good thing when you're exiting this spring for all parties involved. I'm not going to lie. I entered yesterday with this pit in my stomach, especially when we got out there to, uh, to the, I don't know what statues, that's on Concord statue, right? Where, where everyone was meeting with the recruits that Zach had, had kind of set up. So we get there and that's an awesome scene. And again, we'll set that up tomorrow, but you got Nico Marchio like and, and Travis Hunter and basically like holding core and and I mean dozens and dozens of recruits there and they're all out there in the rain with their ponchos on and they're still having a good time. And you can tell like there's legitimate buzz and excitement for this spring game. It's like it's like a a homecoming kind of deal because people haven't been able to go see live sporting events in, in so long. So there's this buzz for it, Chris. And I had this sinking feeling in my stomach as this is all happening. You're seeing how cool this is. I'm like, oh God, what if the on-field product sucks? Yeah, don't let today be a letdown was sort of the feeling I had walking in that stadium. Well, I was very wet after standing out there for two hours, <laughs> drizzling rain. Your hair looks good wet, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. It uh, it went well. I mean, it was a good day. There was plenty to critique, no doubt, and we'll get into that. But all in all, I think, one, the fans were excited. The place had a nice little buzz to it. 
It was pretty quick and to the point. They ran about 80 plays in that first half where it truly mattered and then had a little fun with the second half with his guest coaches. I think people enjoyed what they did. Tallahassee felt like Tallahassee's supposed to feel on a football game day. And that that was something that I think we've missed. And truthfully, you know, watching that, watching some baseball recently, catching a bit of WrestleMania last night, things with crowds again, I think people are more appreciative of being in a crowd today than they were two years ago because it did go away for so many of us for such a long time. So I think there's a little something to that, all of that too. And I said the same thing to my wife this morning about the crowd yesterday. She watched a game with some friends yesterday and kind of commented how cool it was to see people so into it. Yeah. It felt nice and normal and kind of like a little blanket was wrapped around you a little bit. That's how I felt. Right, let's, oh. let's get to this. Team okay. All right. So I, I say all this with this, the pit in my stomach, it didn't happen. Like bad didn't happen. I mean, there's good and bad in the spring, but it was fun. It was exciting. There were some big plays there and let's start off with the quarterbacks. We're going to go position by position into the spring game and also the spring and kind of just go from there. But as we're going to go down the line here at quarterback, Mackenzie Milton uh, put on a show in just a few drives, especially that that uh, was it. His, it was his first drive he was in. Uh, he drops three dimes on that drive. Uh, first, the outside throw to Jay Sean Corbin on third and seven. Uh, Corbin comes out of the flat. He puts it outside where only Corbin can get it. Does a really nice job adjusting to the ball as well. Uh, then he goes deep to Malik McLean down the right sideline. Mac- Malik McLean's covered really well by Akeem Dent. Uh, that was on third and long as well. The offensive line did a good job giving him enough time to make a throw, but you see that quick release from McKenzie Milton. Steps up in the pocket. Again, drops the dime to Malik McLean, who is covered closely by Akeem Dent, but he dives for it, makes a really good catch. And then on the very next play, great pocket by the offensive line. And there's going to be critiques for the offensive line throughout the day, but they gave him the time to get this uh, this outside corner pattern to Brian Robinson. He's covered by Jamie Robinson, the slot cornerback, a star or stud or whatever we're calling it in this scheme. Uh, and it's good coverage there too. Mackenzie Milton just puts it low and outside. Perfect pass to Brian Robinson. He adjusts well and it's a touchdown. So let's start off with that there. I, Chris, I, I think Mackenzie Milton is the story of the day to me because he also throws an amazing pass at Josh Burrell later on in the day as well. He looked good, man. He looked damn good. Yeah, and he looked the best I think any of us have seen him look in the spring. I obviously went to far fewer practices than you and Zach, but I know that the combination was yesterday in talking to you guys was that that's the best he's been. And maybe he's a gamer, maybe that's some of it, or maybe he's just truly starting to get a little more comfortable with it. They do think that, just for real quick, the FSU staff does think like he's a gamer. And that was kind of his thing at UCF too, was he would play his best in big moments. And I think Mike Norvell even said he is definitely getting more comfortable with the knowledge and understanding and the execution of what they're asking as an offense. The best thing about Milton compared to his competitors is that he gets rid of it quickly and he can put it on the spot down the field. And that's what you want in a quarterback. And that's what they so desperately need here in a quarterback. I mean, the offensive line is going to force them to get rid of it quickly. Now, all that being said, Jordan Travis had a good day. He culminated a very good spring. I think arguably he's the offensive MVP of the spring because he was the most consistent quarterback start to finish, showed drastic improvement, became a better downfield passer, still has the legs that we know he can use. And yesterday, because the way they whistle things so quickly, it nullifies some of what he can do with his legs. But Jordan was still very good yesterday and very good throughout the spring. So at the end of the day, they have two quarterbacks. Sometimes that's poison. Sometimes that's a great thing. In this case, I think it's better than poison. Yeah, they're going to use them both. Uh, Who do I think is going to start at the end of the day? I'm sticking with Milton. That's what I expected when he transferred here. That's what I expected going in the spring. I certainly don't think that's going to be named anytime soon. That battle is going to go well into the summer months and into the preseason. And I think they're going to use both. But I, I think yesterday was promising with regards to those two at the top of the heap at quarterback. 
Yeah, I do think McKenzie Milton has to be consistently sharper than what he was in practices. It can't all be saved for the game because you do have to, if you want McKenzie Milton to be your starter, which I think ideally the the optimal the optimal landing spot is McKenzie Milton's a starter, but Jordan Travis is heavily involved in every single weekly game plan, but you just take a little bit of the burden off of him with some of the health issues that he's had and, and some of just the um, still developing as a passer. Although that throw he made where he was rolling to the right uh, by the sideline and then had to dump it off to the left well, about 15 yards downfield, kind of middle of the field, uh, was <clears throat> probably a no-no kind of throw, like one you don't normally want someone to do. But the fact that he attempted it, that he made it, he executed it, something he doesn't even try to do last year. Uh, sorry, I'm rambling here. The, my point being is I think ideally that you want McKenzie Milton to be your starter with Jordan Travis involved heavily in the game plan. But McKenzie Travis, Milton – oh, sorry, what did I say? Travis also nailed a 44-yard touch and has some claim on McLean's all alone. In fact, he recognized got rid of it, got it to him. Did what he's supposed to do on that play. It's a good sign. Yeah. Travis' best value is still his legs, and yesterday doesn't allow him to show that quite as much as he would against a normal opponent. Yeah, Mike Norvell had the excuse me the quick the quick whistle there. Um, yeah. So so yeah, the, the quarterback position is going to be interesting because I think you have two very competent ones. Tate Rotomaker just not ready for this consistently yet. And funny because he does make some nice throws. Like if we're going throughout the entire spring, he made some really good throws throughout the spring. It's there. Uh, but we saw some of the quicksand issues with him on Saturday where he starts kind of rushing or or just not seeing the field at all. And it's so tough, too, because that offensive line is like we're, we're talking about there's walk-ons on there. That's not That second-team offensive line is more like a third- to fourth-team offensive line in some spots. So it's really tough to, to judge, right? They were missing four bodies on the O-line yesterday, including Devontae Love-Taylor, who we know is kind of a pillar of that group. And then you got a guy like Brady Scott who's a bit of a utility man. Thomas Schrader, who I think it's fair to say – a potential starter, definitely a six-man type for them. So those are three guys that are in your upper seven, eight of your O-line that you desperately need. So when you're missing them, sort of falls off a cliff, and that's the issue. Tate's interception, Kevin Knowles, the second, made a really nice job of jumping the route, getting in front of it, reading the inside, and picking it off. But it's a throw that it's so easy to pick off if the DB is talented and makes the decision to read it because it's going to be there. And that that's something that he did last year. And we're still seeing it in the spring. And then there were way too many times where he was pumping and holding it and not getting rid of it. And it was clear that Mike Norvell was aggravated with the way he performed yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It still seems like someone who's a ways off from if, if he is going to be a competent quarterback for you. Doesn't seem like it's right there right now. Uh, and I'm not basing that just off of yesterday, but yesterday was the lasting impression. And it is tough to kind of move off of, of some of that. Um, then Shelba Purdy, obviously not there, but Mike Norvell says he will be there uh, in the summer, fully cleared. So He's good to go. Uh, I, I talked about this on the podcast before, not in the doghouse. Uh, I I didn't like that that narrative was around there. He's he's rehabbing his shoulder. That is legitimate, confirmed with multiple sources. Um, no standing on top of that mountain holding that flag. I mean, like if you're going to – it's one thing to be wrong with information. It's another to be wrong with information that also, like, slanders a, a player or a person. I think that it, we got to be more responsible as just an entity of, of people. Um yeah, anyways, anyways. Uh, My boy over here. We'll move on to the running backs. Thank you. Jay Sean Corbin's running back one, but yesterday he didn't play in the sense of getting the touches like running back one. That's because he worked so much in prior scrimmages. They wanted to kind of dish out the carries to other people. Yesterday also felt a lot more like a passing scrimmage to me than a running scrimmage. I know play distribution-wise that's not really true, but it certainly felt that way to me, at least in the sense of what they were trying to accomplish. We saw Lawrence Tofilly get a few touches. He had a really nice 23-yard run. He finished with about 45 yards on five carries. 
You know, Toe Philly's a big play capable guy. Trey Sean Ward continued to be the king of the spring. That's for my boys to over there. Six for 41. <laughs> Deontay Sheffield did some late work there, got himself some carries. DJ Williams got a little work. I want DJ Williams to be a bit more of a battering ram personally. He's built like one. He's by far the most physically thick back that they have. Him and Corbin would be the two that kind of fit in that category, but I think he's even more so than Corbin. I need him to finish when he gets the ball. I need him to, when he's getting tackled, I need him to almost be the person doing the tackling. And he had a couple plays yesterday where I didn't think he finished particularly well. And then he had one where he did, but in the same token, he's got to break some tackles because of that build. He's not a guy that's going to just simply run away from people. He's got to punish, break tackles, create second opportunities, gain yards there. And we need to see that. So, you know, the running back group sort of is what it is, in my opinion. I don't know if they have a guy who I would describe as a top tier running back. I think Corbin is certainly the guy closest to that. He's a pretty well-rounded package capable of receiving it and running it. I think as a whole, that group's a pretty good receiving group, and I think they're certainly going to be used in that way. But I think they need Toe Philly to truly emerge as like the playmaker, the game breaker, the guy that can do big plays and big moments when you have to have them, whether it's catching the ball out of the backfield or running it out of the backfield. And the the average for Toe Philly yesterday is 9.2 yards per carry for those who were trying to do the math initially when Chris said five uh, five rushes for 46 yards. Uh, 9.2, that's robust, that's good. Uh, we will We will certainly take that. If he if he gives you that consistently, that's kind of similar to what he did this past year as a freshman. Um, so yeah, LT I think is still the guy that you want to see a little bit more of that from consistently, but he clearly has that in his arsenal. That's great to see. Treshawn Ward, I think this spring, Chris, he's carved out a role for himself. I'm not sure how big a one in in 2021 season, but he's a guy that you could rely on to get five touches, ten touches, maybe maybe optimistically a game, but know that like you're going to get him out in space, you can do little screens with him and he's going to, to make guys miss. Uh, he's been really consistent throughout the entirety of the spring. It's not fluky at this point to me. Like he belongs at this level. He's rewarded with a scholarship uh, or awarded with a scholarship. No rewarded, awarded, awarded with a scholarship. Uh, and then, like you said, with Chris, with Jay Sean Corbin, we just, it's tough to tell because we haven't seen him extensively a whole lot. I, I think the staff feels really good about what he is. Uh, again, what the upside is, is he like an explosive guy? I, I don't know yet, uh, but they do really like him. And I think that's one of the reasons why they haven't run him a ton. And yeah, I need DJ Williams to, to not get taken down in space as, as easily as he does. It's just, it's been consistent through the spring. And Mike Norvell did say that DJ Williams was dealing with an ankle injury in the first part of spring was still practicing, but just wasn't himself. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and and kind of reserve uh, forming my my full opinion on on him and, until maybe like we see more in, in fall camp. But I would like to see more from my big physical back being big and physical. Uh, moving to the to the receivers and tight ends and just the passing game overall. Chris uh, Malik McLean three catches, eighty four yards, a touchdown. Brian Robinson mentioned his touchdown earlier as well. Uh, a ton of guys get get touches. When we're looking at the stat sheet here. What thirty. 31 catches and how many guys? 15 receivers caught a ball. Um, the group looked looked fine. We didn't see a ton from from I was on. I mean, Keyshawn Helton got a couple touches. We didn't see a ton from Pokey Wilson. I was really it was the young guys making plays, which I, I think the fan base was excited to see. Yeah, with McLean, he won a one on one, and that excites me because they were such a putrid team last year at winning one on ones. And it wasn't his touchdown where he won a one-on-one. It was a sideline catch, I think, set up the Brian Robinson touchdown, if I remember correctly. Brian Robinson's another guy. He had three for 25. The 16, 17-yard touchdown reception was his best catch of the day. 
But Brian looked a little bit more like we expected him to be when he came in as a recruit. He was so banged up last year that last year was very much a loss year for him. Tight end group, we didn't see a whole lot. Austin White caught a wheel route at the very end of practice during the guest coach portion. That was a big play for them. But other than them, it was pretty much only Cam McDonald really getting any burn out there, doing anything as a tight end. And Cam looked good. They, were, they liked to try to throw some comeback short stuff with Cam. and Some of those balls were a little bit low, and he was trying to clean them up off the dirt. I got to get a little more concise with that. Those are plays that are kind of giving me take homes to set up short yardage situations, move the chains a little bit forward. Those can't be zero gains. Those are things that they have to do better. And that's not so much solely on McDonald. That's a uh, continuity issue with quarterbacks and the receiver needing to get on the same page and be really good at those things. Those have to be money routes to some degree. Josh Burrell's 39-yard reception where Milton put in the bucket on him full stride over the defender, probably the best throw today without a shadow of a doubt. Burrell is a kid that certainly looks the part. He's physically very well put together. He's a good enough athlete. You know, that one of the things I questioned with Burrell when they took him and wondered about was how good would he be when he was trying to work vertically on that route, which was pretty much 39 yards in the route. He was fine. He created enough separation and he's got secure enough hands that he can make that happen. But their receiver group, I think Parchman and Hill are still going to make an instant impact and compete there. You know, Wilson and Helton, those are two guys that are veterans that you kind of hope for more, but you need to see more from them. I, I think Pokey had a pretty bad drop on a quick pass, if I recall correctly. Helton had one towards the end zone that got deflected, which was actually a very good defensive play. But I need to see just a little bit more from your veteran receivers if they're going to hold off some of these young guys from stealing opportunities from them. Kentron catches a back shoulder. There was another back shoulder not executed with him but we kind of know what he is. The biggest thing with him is need more consistency. Mm-hmm. The main concern I have with receivers in the same token is when you're relying on so many young guys, you're going to have inconsistencies. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. And that's a bit concerning. They need to find dependable, consistent weapons that they know they can go to. I think McDonald is certainly one of those. They need another one or two to emerge. And that might be somebody like Parchment, despite the fact he's coming in with such a short window per- to prepare for the season with them. Yeah, I think we got a grade on a curve with the wide receivers because Andrew Parchment and Destin Hill are still TBD. They're still going to be arriving. So those are guys who probably factor in really heavily into the – I'm not going to even say probably. They they will. Uh, one of those guys is going to start almost instantly. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them do, honestly, Chris. Uh, although we'll have to see, I guess, what Destin Hill does at the college level. It's a little premature for that. But, but yeah, the, the receiver group I thought showed well – uh, overall on, on yesterday, certainly with the big plays, winning the one-on-ones, so that's something that you've written about a lot in the past, Chris, is, is FSU lacked that last year. They didn't have guys making plays in, in isolation. So that was great to see. But, but at the same token, like Malik McLean was great yesterday when he got his chances. That the first touchdown, the route that he ran, the pick play, I went back and rewatched that like about 20 minutes before recording here, Chris. He, he, was, he did it so smoothly and uh, well executed to find the, the ref, the umpire in the middle of the field and kind of just shoot up right at the right time and force Brownlee to get stuck in there. It was just really well done. But like, what was that? I I asked Jerry and Jones, Jerry and Jones after the game about McLean. He said, and then that makes him uniquely difficult to defend is he's, I believe he said so long and so that athletic and Mm -hmm. that's on full display. McLean's their highest ceiling receiver currently on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I think I was going to say it's not even close. I I think Portier, uh, can can contend with that some, but in terms of the the deep speed that that McLean offers up and, and some of the the length, yeah, it's impressive. But what I was going to say, like on member Thursday's practice, there's and he's done this a couple times where McLean's going downfield and, and tracking the ball, and he just kind of puts out his hands 
too early. Like he's just running an extra two or three yards with his hands out. So that's just, there needs to be more consistency. Like you said, there's a lot of variables with a young guy, but the potential it's there, it's there. You just got to try to harness it and hope that, that he's really dialed in and focused like he has been uh, through, through this far to, to continue that in the off season. Um, moving on to offensive line. It was a rough day. Now, Chris mentioned this earlier. They're out four guys who are probably in their top eight or nine, and including Devontae Love-Taylor is probably their best, and Thomas Strader definitely in the top six in there. So it, it's tough to fully judge this this group, um, especially the second-team offensive line yesterday. It just, just made that – those. I'm trying to be nice. Those reps were basically wasted for some of those guys on offense. Like it, just, it just limited so much of what they could do. Uh, the first-team offensive line I thought had some good moments – uh, but the issue is the bad just get magnified. Like when it is bad, when it does go off the rails, like there, there's not like a in between. It's not like uh, there's a lookout block and all of a sudden you're Jermaine Johnson's in the backfield and it's third and 17. Um, and I think that's the issue that they need to get cleaned up. It's like the, 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 the floor has been raised a little bit. Like there's, there's more consistency, but still when things go, go bad, uh, they go really bad. Yeah. And I, Dante Lucas got put on skates one time, for example. I forget who did it to him, but he just got shoved back and he, you know, he looked like he was going to go ass backwards. Um, the tackle struggled at times. Jermaine Johnson had some fun with them. He also picked on a tight end on one occasion. He pointed out to me. Um, yeah, I just, that, that group doesn't evoke a lot of confidence. Um, I asked Coach Norvell about it in the post game or post spring game press conference. And he, he admitted, you know, I asked, is it tough with the lack of continuity and lack of sort of what you expect it to look like in the season to get a whole lot of what you knew in the spring? And he said it was more about fundamentals for them. But I do worry about the development of that group. I think Alex, I, I think we're all on record that we think Alex Atkins knows what the hell he's doing and that he's very good at what he does. So it's not a matter of I think the coaching is bad. I just don't think the talent of that group is enough to supersede some of the issues they have. And I certainly don't think the depth is enough for them to weather it. Yesterday, to me, indicated in the season if they do have a couple injuries up front, they're in pretty deep, you know what, because of that situation. Poop. Deep poop. Uh, much like with wide receiver, I think it's a little different because we know who the wide receivers right now coming in are. Uh, this offensive line is still incomplete. Again, they were who, without. Who would be your starting five on the line? Uh, so assuming, I mean, getting guys healthy. Uh, Devontae Love-Taylor, but I'm not sure where I'm putting him right now. Maurice Smith at center, uh, Darius Washington, but I mean, it would be great if you can get a left tackle and slide Darius to left guard and let him develop there. That would be ideal. Uh, but I would still start Darius for sure. Um, so that's three Robert Scott, keep investing in him again. Maybe if you can find someone where you can get Robert Scott at guard, uh, and get a right tackle, uh, that's a variable too. After that, man, I, I don't know whether I go Pope or, or Babyon, or again, you're waiting for that variable of someone else to, to show up. I don't know. What about you? I, I agree with you. I think it's still an area where they so desperately need somebody they can plug and play, especially mm-hmm. at the tackle spot. I think a tackle helps them a great deal because some of the guys that they want to develop, that they want to play, I think would be better served right now working at guard than living life at tackle. Mm-hmm. And letting them develop. And then be, be that's the issue. It's like you're putting these guys on an island and, and just the margin for error in that spot is is so razor thin. So like Darius had, I thought 
the fan base dragged him a little bit yesterday. And I thought unfair because like you go back and rewatch, like he's keeping Jermaine Johnson off McKenzie Milton on third and long situations, which I think we're establishing keeping Jermaine Johnson out of the backfield isn't an easy thing to do. Uh, but you have one mess, messed up rep or you do one thing incorrectly. And again, it, it could be catastrophic. But if you're at guard, you can hide that a little bit more and you can let someone kind of figure out the footwork and, and get more confidence. So you know, it would just be helpful if you can add that this this offseason. I think that's going to be a priority for them. We'll talk about that more down the road. I'm sure like what FSU is going to do to kind of uh, fill in the gaps with this remaining scholarship or two that it has offensive line to me. Uh, it doesn't maybe doesn't have to be a tackle, but you have to get someone to upgrade one of these positions and kind of figure out your starting five and go from there. This helps transition from the O line to the D line. Thirteen sacks, eighteen tackles for loss on the day. So Ooh. yeah, that speaks to it a bit. Most of the sacks were from the up front. Tackles for loss were a little bit of a mixed bag. You had some guys up front, some guys in the back half too. Um, speaking of the D line, I, I really like what Dennis Briggs did yesterday. I'm a Dennis Briggs fan. I think that's pretty well established. Fabian Lovett did a good job capping what I would call a very good spring for him. He certainly looks to be in very good shape. Uh, you know, we've talked a great deal about Jermaine Johnson, defensive MVP of the spring. I think we would both agree he's a huge piece of the puzzle. Some of it's inflated by concerns with the offensive line, but at the same time, Jermaine Johnson has the athletic traits I want to see out of a guy playing off the edge. I certainly think he can excel against anybody and everybody that he plays. What are you taking a picture of now? There's Me? a wood. There's a no, and it's not you. Don't be sensitive. Okay. It was just that there's a woodpecker, but it's going like after I, a stump. I thought maybe I looked like a priest again. That was um, just the one time. <laughs> just that one time. Yeah, the D line as a whole. You know, Malcolm Ray had a few good ones, but those came against a walk on and Robert Elder playing on the interior of the O line. So is that Malcolm Ray showing development, or is that just a matter of him picking on a guy? Oh, I'll, I'll be fair because the first time I thought oh, you're right, Chris, that one of them definitely was against Elder and another tackle for loss was. But there was one play, the first sack he had where he just beat Tyra Henry. Um, so that's someone more in his classification and, and the scholarship players. So he just beat him with a swim move. So I just want to get Malcolm Ray. Uh, uh, Derek McClendon's had a pretty good spring. Norvell praised him again after his spring game. He's done that on multiple, multiple occasions during the spring of saying he's coming along, more consistency. I think that's a positive. I still think D end is a spot because it's such a value spot. It can really alter games. It makes your secondary and your linebackers better if you got a great pass rush. I still think that's a spot. They we expect them to have two spots available to try to use here between now and the season. After that O line spot that we desperately want, I think D end is probably your next commodity that you most actively pursue. If there's one out there that you think can make an impact on level of Jermaine Johnson or at least in the ballpark of Jermaine Johnson. I think McClendon's a great depth piece right now. I don't know how comfortable you would be with him being your one of your primary starters. Oh yeah, I think you you want to be the, the come off the bench kind of guy. Uh, and then when Jermaine Johnson and see, he said he tweeted out like a few minutes ago, he's fine. Um, it was a good sign that he didn't go back to the locker room, but he did leave the game pretty early. Went into the tent, got checked out, was fine. Kept on his pads, was walking around. He said he's good. Uh, but oh my god, like could you imagine that, Chris? Like if you lost that, dude, like that's the, I think that. When we start doing our 40 most important list, it's going to be hard to think of someone right now with the roster composition more important than Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. that's kind of an overriding theme of yesterday is that first team wise, they seem to have a decent amount of guys that are good options. But depth wise, this team still lacks in a lot of places. Yeah, it's spring, though. I mean, it's not a full 85 man roster, to be fair. It's about it's about two thirds of what you have. So so it's still working. We're also missing several due to injury. Yeah, yeah, just for context. But yeah, so the defensive line. There's some good glimmers there. Like you said, Fabian Lovett, uh, I'm enjoying what he's doing. He's going in the right direction. So I think they had three good defensive tackles they could rotate in there. 
Uh, True Thompson didn't pra- practice yesterday. It, need to see more from him. It'd be nice if he's that fourth guy who kind of steps up for you. Uh, at linebacker, you know, so not having Emmett Rice is a big deal. I, I think we're seeing that that group really is going to miss miss him and his presence and his physicality. I mean, Amari Gaynor is looking increasingly comfortable at, the, at linebacker, the inside linebacker spot specifically. Uh, I would like to see Steven Dix just continue to trigger a little bit more quickly. It seems like, I mean, it's better than what it was, you know, say last, last fall, uh, but still a work in progress for him. Uh, so yeah, I, I think linebacker, like I, I kind of exit the spring feeling like, okay, there's some good pieces in play there. Uh, you could certainly see like Jaleel McCray and, and Kalen Deloach, I think move in the right direction this spring. That was good. Uh, but just generally speaking, Chris, I, I don't know if I feel good about it. I don't know if I feel bad. I feel kind of meh right now. I don't feel great about it. Um, I still saw instances of linebackers getting walled off, not creating tunnels for big plays to be potentially there for especially running backs on blocking plays. Um, Got to fight through blocks better. Got to try to take a better route through the block, just things like that. Um, uh, you know, Amari I'm, I'm Gaynor is a dude that I think is a huge piece of the puzzle for FSU. I think he's excellent in pursuit at finishing plays, some good one-on-one tackling. I did think the tackling of the linebacker group was better yesterday than what we saw in general last season. I do feel like they have five or so capable bodies, you know, Dix and McCray and uh, Lundy, Gaynor, and who am I? Who am I? Deloach. Deloach. And then obviously Emmett Rice is somebody we hope can make it back, but I don't know that either of us is optimistic about that without knowing the full prognosis of what's going on with him. So five is a good number when you're only running two out there, but I still, you know, I feel like Gaynor's clear cut uh, one guy. And I feel like Dix has kind of emerged as that. And I think that's the entire puzzle with Dix is a great practice player guy who does everything right in the sense of preparing for practice, handling things off the field, being a good teammate, being a good leader. He's excellent in all those regards. I still need Dix to be a little bit better of a player and bullets are flying. And that's asking a lot. That kid's been here for, you know, a year now, and he got thrown in the fire last year, and he handled it as well as he possibly could. So he's still got plenty of time to develop, but I don't feel super comfortable with some of the things he brings to the field when he's playing. But I don't think they truly have a much better option right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, let's move to defensive backfield because it's. I, I think that may be the one of, if not the best bright spots of the spring for me, just, and that's what the group being still shorthanded with Miko Dotson, not being a hundred percent with Renardo green, not really being a factor. Uh, Jarquez McClellan was in and out of, uh, of the rotation this spring. Akeem Dent misses a good chunk of the middle of it and kind of shows some signs at the end of it. But so this is a group that not a hundred percent. And I like what I saw now is that the wide receivers being inconsistent, still not getting enough separation. That may very well be part of it. That's kind of goes back to everything we've talked about this spring is when someone's doing something well, usually means someone else inside your same program is doing something not as well. Uh, but I like what I saw there, Chris, uh, Jarvis Brownlee and Jaron Jones both showed well uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Brownlee gives up the long touchdown to McLean because he gets picked there, but 
you know, sometimes you're going to get picked by a referee. That happens. He, by and large, has had a really good spring. He brings it every day. He's someone that if he's not a starter, he's at least going to be a consistent piece of your rotation. I, I think ultimately he's a starter. Jerry and Jones, to me, has flashed in almost every single time when you watch him for an elongated period of practice. He does something very impactful throughout a game. He had a sack to, uh, yesterday. Uh, we've seen him in other spring scrimmages, like finish off a scrimmage with an interception or a tackle for loss. Like he, he's making plays. He says he's confident and healthy. That's good to see. Did um, he? Who, who had the pass breakup on the attempted touchdown pass at Helton Holbein early, very early in the day? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was him or he had a PBU on the day, but I can't remember specifically. Was it Dent? Um, Dent got his hand on one. Came later in the day because he responded well after giving up the big catch earlier. Yeah. I thought Dent closed the day much better than he started today, which is a positive because that's something he definitely struggled with last year, bouncing back with him. Dent, someone who needs his confidence built up. It's funny, I asked Jerry and Jones yesterday if he had some issues with confidence uh, last season when he wasn't healthy. And he's like, no, he's like, I'm always confident. Like, I just didn't feel <laughs> I just didn't feel good. I just physically couldn't do what I wanted to do. Uh, conversely, I do think Akeem Dent uh, would like to ask him, but it seemed like he just wasn't himself last year and and – he ends the spring on two really good practices, and that was after not having a very good one earlier in the week. Uh, Mike Norville told us that the Tuesday one not very good for him, and he responds and responds well. And even yeah, he gives up that big play to McLean, which was really good coverage, uh, and then and then bounces back though and, and continues to play well. Uh, Bam Moore, I think, is a solid rotational guy for you, uh, especially like what he does in stopping the run. He's going to be really good there. Jamie Robinson at the nickelback is just rock solid. Doesn't really make it like a ton of flashy plays, but just always in the right spot, makes good clean tackles and open field. And then Kevin yeah. Knowles, Chris, you mentioned yeah. him too. Uh, he's he's going to be someone who I think makes an impact this season. And they had him shadow Robinson a lot. I think they believe he can play multiple positions, but they liked what he did in the spring working alongside Robinson and kind of figuring that out. And I think the thing about Kevin is that he's – a bit of a chip on the shoulder mentality, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Brownlee's got a lot of that to his DNA, too. Um, but I, I think that's a good. Uh, undersized South Florida cornerbacks are going to play like undersized South Florida cornerbacks is what you're telling me? A couple other young DBs that when I watched spring and in general and talking to people about the spring, that I feel like had a pretty good showing or at least showed progress you want to see out of guys as they continue along their career. Sidney Williams is a guy that I think the staff certainly likes and trusts. And Jadarius Green McKnight started making a lot of plays. He's also a dude that just tackles people. Green McKnight's a bit of a janitor in the sense of cleaning up a lot of plays. I think he led the defense yesterday in tackles with seven. That includes that kind of mop up uh, for the crowd late periods. I think he had five during the first half where it was truly a spring game and like a simulated 80 play game type deal. So good day for him. Uh, I agree with your points on a majority of the other DBs. Yeah, I think with that group, it's about finding the guys who you know you can trust when you just have to have who you have to have out there, kind of your closers. Yeah. But it's also about being able to have a lot of different combinations throughout the game and do different things against different schemes and different teams. And, you know, sometimes you're going to need guys who are a little more physical, a bit more of tackling types of Green McKnight, Brendan Gant, for example, maybe, as long as he doesn't whiff on tackles as he wants to do here and there. <laughs> and sometimes you're going to need the more athletic types that are a little bit more playing to the edges and able to play down the field against certain teams. So, think the collection of talent they have there that's the ultimate goal now it's about finding the combos at work and the guys that you can trust and making sure that there's enough of a team first mentality within that room that guys are okay if they have sort of a limited play role in the game but they're going to have opportunities to make a play when they're put in there which is something that is tough to establish but hopefully they have that kind of makeup in that room at this point and again Dotson Green 
guys I think would be penciled in as starters right now if, if they had to go ahead and, and formulate their depth chart for the start of, of fall camp. Uh, they don't play really much at all this spring. At the very least, those are guys who are going to factor it heavily into the do, too deep or, or different rotation. So still still a work in progress, but uh, some some general uh, progress, I guess. We're using progress twice in the same sentence. That's great there. Uh, so, so general themes here, Chris, in – in the spring, uh, let's talk about what we think is better right now than, than maybe we had thought going into the spring. I'll start off with one. I think the organization on defense is much better, far less blown plays. Guys are tackling better, at least showing the willingness to be physical. We saw that somewhat late last season. That's carried over nicely to the spring for me. I think uh, it's a big year for Adam Fuller. Obviously, they got him pieces that he, he wants for his defense. So uh, I am optimistic that, that there was some growth there this spring. I'll go with the newcomers, both transfers and freshmen. It's so tough to expect a guy to basically be plug and play. And we're 14 practices, almost 15 practices into this spring. A good amount of those guys they brought in look like guys that can certainly be two deep contributors, with some of them being pivotal pieces. Milton and Johnson, for example, are guys that are going to really have to lean on. But I think the hope is that one, if not both of those freshman receivers can be somebody they rely upon. And I certainly think McLean's the guy that definitely gives them that opportunity. I think Burrell is a guy that definitely gives them, if not a starter type, certainly depth that they can trust, a guy that they can go to. There, there's still some in that group that still need to come on. But in general, I think they've done a good job of showing that they're finding guys that are going to fit what they're trying to execute and do. Now, one other thing I'll say positively, and I know this is so nebulous and we talk about it all the time, but buying culture, those things seem like they're going in the right direction. I do get the feeling like that these the guys they have now, and especially you see the guys they're recruiting, like, uh, they like being coached by Mike Norvell. They like the way he, he coaches. I don't think that was always the case last season. I think that was obvious uh, at times, uh, but but this group seems to respond well to them. When he rips into guys, uh, there's usually a good response the next day or next practice. And I think that's an encouraging sign. It still needs to be built on obviously, but but that's moving in the right direction. I think if you're looking for positives. Yeah, no one's Mike Norvell. Maybe yeah. being grateful here, right? I, I don't know if he'll turn this thing around. I don't know how successful it will be. I'm not making some grand statement. But I do think he's an extremely organized individual who has his sights set on how to execute what he's trying to accomplish. And I think if he is able to find some momentum and positive returns, and I'm not necessarily saying in the next 12 months, but in the coming years while he's hopefully here, I think this program's in pretty good hands with him running at the helm. I thought the way he handled yesterday in the sense of coaching it, the way he handled it and dealing with, you know, former alums who were there, the way the team treated those former alums, the way he appreciated the crowd, what we know he's done behind the scenes with fundraising, with trying to get this program going during a time where it's been difficult because of circumstances with the pandemic, limiting in-person interaction, uh, recruiting. Obviously last year, it was as good as it probably could be considering all the circumstances but we've seen a drastic upkick with an effort to improve those efforts with this cycle that we're currently in. All of those things to me are positive when it comes to a head coach. And I, like I said, I don't know if it works long-term. It's so tough to predict how great a coach will turn out to be. There's so many pieces that go into that puzzle, but I do feel confident in the guy that's running the show. And I think he has gotten a team that it's, it's at its basement level, but it knows what it's working towards. And I think that's a good thing. I think comparatively, like he gives you a chance, right? I think that's what you're looking at. He gives you a chance to get back to Florida State. Uh, we don't know if it gets there because they get a few bad bounces early this year and, and someone gets they hurt. Know, they know they need more talent. They know they have to improve that roster. They know they need more weapons to put points on the board and do all these. 
He's not going to complain in the moment. He's going to deal with what he has at his disposal at that time and figure out the answers to those questions as he moves forward. And I think that's a good thing. Too many coaches will sometimes sort of play a blame game. I don't feel like he's one of those guys. I think that's a good thing. I think that's I, I believe he'll be able to maximize this group to their greatest potential this year, which may not be all that great, to be perfectly honest. But I think he will get the most out of it that he can. So let's so – okay, there's two different things I want to go over, but I think – and we're wrapping up here. Uh, but I think they can kind of be melded into one. I went into the spring, Chris, thinking this is probably a six-and-six six football team. I don't leave it thinking much differently. I, I think – if your quarterbacks aren't sharp, like we've seen sometimes in the, in the spring, then it's probably closer to like five wins. And if you have McKenzie Milton dealing like how he was dealing yesterday, then seven wins is, is reasonable. But I still think six wins is about that sweet spot for them. Uh, as long as they, you know, knock on wood, have, have good injury luck. I mean, and that's why I want to provide context for our listeners. We're talking about positives. We're talking about negatives. I don't leave the spring feeling a whole lot different about this team that I did going into it. Uh, but what about you, Chris, how, how do you kind of view, and I mean, you don't even have to say a win loss record. I think it's premature for that, but how do you feel about this team exiting spring? They have five games on the schedule that I look at and certainly don't think they're going to be favored in you know, that off the bat, just that off the bat. So that's seven and five at best. If you're just playing the odds, I don't, I think seven and five is tough for them to attain. I, I don't think they're particularly robust with talent and I don't think they're explosive offensively despite the fact that they have play callers who call to an explosive offense I think they're working towards that some of the wild cards in this is you know does Toe Philly take that next step does Parchment come in and make an instant impact and one of those freshman receivers emerge suddenly your offense is a hell of a lot better but the line is still a major concern I don't think there's a quick fix there defensively, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach without a shadow of a doubt with that group. I do agree with your earlier assessment that they're organized more, tackling's better. They certainly look like they know what the heck they're trying to accomplish a lot better. But I need to see it in real action against other opponents where you're not so used to what's kind of coming your way because you play this every day in practice. So there is some of that. I think they're a 500-type ball club. This year, to me, is so much more about weathering the storm, keeping what looks like it's going to be a fairly well-assembled recruiting class together, and getting to the future of having more on your roster, more playmakers, and a hell of a lot of guys with a lot of experience have gone through tough times. I think that's pretty important. So, yeah, I, I leave the spring feeling pretty much the same as I did going in in the sense of what I expect as the outcome. There have been points during the spring where I had massive concerns about if the offense was capable of putting points up, Thursday being a prime example of that. So we shall see. I, I'm definitely going with a very wait and see approach with this team this year in the sense of having any real optimism about them exceeding what are my expected, my expectations. Right, we're going to end this podcast with the, the most scorching hot take ever. Chris Nee says, well, we're going to wait and see just really just blew him away with that one. Christopher. Oh, come on. Man. No, I, it's, it's spree. We want to overreact to things. I get it. You know, you're, you're taking a measured approach is going to be well-received. I think long-term by the fan base. I feel good about the quarterback because I feel like they have two guys that can do it. But I do worry that one of those guys, well, hell, both those guys, durability concerns exist. Milton because of catastrophic injury, Travis because he was consistently banged up last year. I don't expect either of them to get great protection by their O-line. I just don't expect much from the O-line. Receiver, you're asking a lot of a lot of young guys. But if a couple of them emerge, it changes the whole dynamic. Running back, they need a guy that can just light up the scoreboard. Corbin's a very dependable dude, but I don't know that he's that guy. Toe Philly, to me, is probably that guy. 
but I'm not ready to just say he's going to do it. And then defensively, they're much better at one of the DN spots, but I don't feel great about the other DN spot. And Keir Thomas wasn't around all spring. So mm-hmm. maybe he makes that a drastic improvement and takes a lot of that weight off. D-tackle to rotation is good, but do they have anybody that would consider great in that group? I don't know. Linebacker I'm still a little concerned about. In the DB group, I love the depth, but I'm not sure that it comes together and looks great. Last year, the DB group, one got so insanely thin late, but man, a few of the guys that were running out there, just it it wasn't working. Jones and Dent late last year were not good. And yeah. I hesitate. Like Jones is a guy that, yes, he's looked a lot better in the spring. And I like the kid. I think he's got a great head on his shoulder. I love talking to him. He's by far one of the best animated characters on the team and having a conversation with. And he definitely loves playing the game. I need to see it against Notre Dame. I uh, just that's the wait and see portion for me. Wait and see, I think, is fair though, because there's still pieces to be added. We need to see how some guys are health wise. Like, is Emmett Rice going to be available this season? That's a huge. That's important. That that matters for just depth purposes. Um, can Jermaine Johnson stay healthy? Can you keep McKenzie and Milton and Jordan Travis upright and healthy throughout? I want to keep saying Travis Hunter now with the name, Chris, because I got recruited on the mind too. So it's, it's like the Will Fortune category, Jordan. Uh, Travis. So Jordan Travis Hunter Washington. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. Let's. Add the, I think this was a good wrap up to the spring and what we see. Now, obviously, we're going to still talk about this throughout the uh, the off season. You know, with what we're learning, uh, different positions to be added to uh, personnel, that type of stuff. But for later this week, I think we're going to record it on Monday morning is what the plan is right now. So this podcast, you have to listen to either on Sunday evening, Monday while you're driving into work, whatever. Hopefully by the time you're driving home on Monday, uh, you will have a full on the bench experience with Josh and Zach. And Chris, I'm assuming you'll be joining us tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'll obviously lean on those two because Zach did a hell of a job this weekend. Josh yeah, was as well the old salty veteran that he is. And it was good. It, the recruiting portion of this weekend was extremely impressive. It's, the collection of talent was as good as I can remember in the last several years, dating back to late Jimbo years. Willie had a couple weekends where he got a good amount of talent too, but I feel like there's a bit more momentum with a group, especially coming off what was a fairly disappointing season, the sense of win-loss record last year. And a lot of that can be chalked up to Travis Hunter, Nico, Marco. They're kind of leading the charge, but they're by far not the only guys. But we'll save a lot of that for Monday. Yeah, yeah, well, check us out uh, on the bench later this week. We'll have an in-depth recruiting podcast then, which I know a lot of you guys are interested in. Uh, for the time being, five-star reviews are – Chris, how many people do we meet this weekend where I asked them for a five-star review? Like five? I heard, I heard you do it at least twice in person. It was good times. I think you did it at Birds, too, one night. I heard a little story about you yelling across some Birds, give me five stars. Yeah, well, you know, I just uh, – I'm trying to keep track of numbers and make sure that I'm, I'm being engaged enough and asking enough questions. Nobody cares about your star rating when you move up in the game. All right. This has been On the Bench. For Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you in a day or so. Bye.